Hello, everyone. Welcome to Won't You Be My Rabbi. I am your host, Laura Lebo, and this is a podcast where we learn about Judaism together. This is a podcast where I learn more about my Jewish roots, I learn more about the Jewish religion, I learn more about the Jewish religious denominations. I know a couple of things uh, about Judaism, but I could stand to learn a lot more. Um, For example, did you know that Jewish funerals are not like Jewish weddings in that you are not supposed to break anything um, at a funeral? Learned that one the hard way, but we got through it. We survived. Didn't have my Judaism revoked. Each episode of this podcast, I chat with a rabbi from one of the major Jewish denominations. And that rabbi gives me a little sense of who they are, of what their Jewish identity is, of the religious denomination to which they belong. And I see if there's anything either from that person's denomination or just from their lived experience Um, that might resonate with me in my search for a higher power, shall we say. I feel pretty sure I believe in some kind of higher power, but it's very formless at this point. It's very unclear what I believe in. Um, I know that it shows up for me sometimes in certain activities. It shows up for me when I'm learning. It shows up for me sometimes when I'm in nature. Uh, It shows up for me when I meditate. It shows up for me when I find a sale. Um, when I save any money, really. In that way, I I do strongly identify as a Jew. And by the way, only we are allowed to make that comment. Only, Only Jews are allowed to talk about how Jews like to save money, okay? That's our trope to talk about, um, and not yours. For that matter, if I hear any non-Jew, you know, talking about the stereotype that all Jews have money, uh, I'm gonna pay them off for their silence. That's none of their darn business. Take my money and keep quiet. On this episode of the podcast, I spoke with Ellie Bass. Ellie uh, is not a rabbi. She's the only non-rabbi that we spoke with. She is, however, I would say uh, a religious leader and a Jewish teacher, and she is an Orthodox Jew. I really enjoy chatting with Ellie. Ellie is super smart, and Ellie has found a way as a woman, uh, I don't know if she's a feminist, but you know, as somebody with feminist ideals, to feel fully actualized and realized in the Jewish Orthodox community without feeling limited by some of the boundaries that that denomination might impose on women. That being said, from an objective standpoint, I I struggle with the idea that women cannot become rabbis. I definitely understand one of the things Ellie was saying, which is that bearing the title of rabbi is not the only way to make an impact in the Jewish community and the Orthodox Jewish community. But if we're being totally honest, uh, it is a valued title. I think it's a title that, um, you know, commands respect in the Jewish community. And if not all people can access that title and not all people can access that uh, respect, then, you know, that's a little less equitable than this little bleeding heart progressive is comfortable with. Just from a personal standpoint, but I liked Ellie. I jived with Ellie. Ellie's really smart and really fascinating. And I think it takes a very particular type of intellectual curiosity and a particular type of, I guess I'll say, mental resilience to reconcile modern ideals, progressive ideals with a 
religion that was cemented in law many millennia ago. So I commend her for that intellectual endeavor, and I appreciate that she feels fulfilled in her religious role and in her Judaism in general. I don't see myself becoming an Orthodox Jew, but I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with this one. Here is Ellie Bass. Hi. I think it's important for the listener to know that Ellie's hat matches her glasses and it looks really, really cool. I really this is, love this it. The summer whites. The summer whites. It looks so good. Like it really yeah, suits you and the, just the matching glasses and hats. It's a look and I love it. <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, we spoke just a little bit about this off mic, but um, would you just describe... Uh, your religious denomination to me, like how you, uh, how you would uh, identify as a Jew? Got it. Um, so it's a great question. It's a difficult question to answer because I think that some of the religious denominations are constructs in order to be able to try to figure out where you fit in your Jewish community. Um, and also because, you know, this is something to talk about in general, but Judaism isn't just a religion and it's religion, like Judaism existed before religion existed. So it's a bit of a funny thing to sort of think about when we talk about it only as a religion. Um, so once you give a, you know, give it religious denominations, you're sort of labeling it under something that doesn't always encompass all of what it is. So to make a long story short, without going into the whole thing, I did an Orthodox conversion here in Toronto under the Ba'ad, the Orthodox uh, Beit Din, um, I guess over 16, 17 years ago now. Um, I uh, learn and have uh, worked in the Orthodox community um, for many, many years. And um, uh, taught in, in lots of different spaces. So um, I would say, I guess, I identify as modern Orthodox, but meaning modern Orthodox in that I am fully committed to a Jewish, a daily Jewish practice. Okay. And um, I believe that our rituals and our practices can be had within the context of a modern life in a modern world. And I also will often use and go to sources that are part of the modern orthodoxy movement in terms of thinkers and writers. Um, Understood. But that's okay. sort of like, I, I'm pretty, I don't know, flexible in my practice in terms of where I go to look for great information and inspiration. So... Um, okay. I would say my practice is that, but um, I, you know, sometimes the box limits um, who you actually are. I see. Okay. There's a, the, you said a bunch of interesting things. I'm trying to decide where to start. Um, okay. The first thing I am curious about is you said uh, Jews existed before the, or Judaism existed before religion. Um can you elaborate on that a bit? Like just meaning that the Jewish people and culture existed prior to religion? Yeah. So, I mean, again, I'm not 
Um, I'm not a historian. I like talking to them, but I'm not one myself. <laughs> so for sure, there's probably people who could explain this much better than I can. Right. But, um, you know, the idea of religion really came about more through like Christianity and Islam. Uh-huh. Judaism is in many ways what people would call today an ethno religion, meaning oh, yeah. you cannot believe in God and still be part of the Jewish people. So right. we're not just a religion. For sure. Um, yes. But in order to convert, you do that through certain religious practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then you become part of the people of Israel. Yeah. Um, and Judaism itself, um, you know, if you look to someone like, say, Rudy Rochman, who talks about Judaism as the name that we took on when we were kicked out of Israel after the loss of the Second Temple. Before that, we were the Israelites. We were the Hebrews. Right. So we're always trying to sort of figure out, especially now when we're so far away from those origins, mm-hmm. what are we? So you came up in the Orthodox community. You grew up in the Orthodox community. Um, so I didn't grow up in it, but okay. <laughs> no, I'm a convert. So Ooh, um, tell me about that. That is so interesting. <laughs> so I grew up uh, not Jewish. I grew up as uh, an artist and a dancer and um, very involved in the, I went to a school for the performing arts here in Toronto. Um, I went to the Claude Watson school. Nice. Um, Yeah. Do you know the school? Did you know the school? No, I just, I know people that went there and I just wanted to give Claude Watson a shout out. (laughs) (laughs) It was an awesome experience. It was, it was the beginnings of that school. So I was part of the wild west of when they were trying to like form the, form that whole program. I so envied the people that went to Claude Watson because I pictured it like fame. And that's all I, all I wanted to do at that age was sing, dance, and act. Totally. To get to do that, like, within school is so thrilling. Yeah, I think it was really formative for me on so many levels to be surrounded by out-of-the-box thinkers, to be surrounded by people who were fully involved in following their passion mm-hmm. um, and understood the work involved that went in order to, that was needed in order to manifest that. So I think that benefited me when I decided to do something as insane as convert to Judaism and become an Orthodox Jew. Um, But that artistic creative background really um, gave me a lot of scaffolding to be able to, to get there. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I think also uh, when you go to an artistic school, like high school is certainly not a place where uh, individuality thrives and like following your own bliss thrives. Um, I think when you go to an artistic high school, there's a little bit more, it's a little bit more accepted to not do what everyone else is doing, which is really nice at that. Yeah. I would almost argue it's much more accepted to do whatever anybody isn't doing. Yeah. (laughs) You kind of like the cool kids are the ones that are the weirdos and the outsiders. And, you know, it has a very sort of flipped dichotomy to say the regular high school clique experience. So it prepared me very well to be a Jew in the world, to be like consistently othered. (laughs) Okay, so tell me about that, because I noticed you used the word, you said something as insane as converting to Orthodox Judaism. Is that a word that has come to you, like, from other people? Like, do people make that comment to you? Or do you feel it was, like, a pretty wild thing to do? Uh, I would say both. I would say certainly when I was in the conversion process, um, at that time, sort of the average time it would take to convert to Orthodox Judaism was around two and a half to three years. Um, And it's an individual process through the Orthodox conversion. So you have mentors, you have teachers, but it's not like you're learning with a class. 
Right. Um, so you have a lot of room to sort of change your mind, to have different experiences. So I certainly heard from different people in different denominations, even like, why would you want to do this? Like, you know, and certainly um, the bait dean themselves, one of the things they're trying to determine is, do you understand what you're getting yourself into? And are you well, like, are you mentally well? Because this is not an easy thing to take on. It's a mantle of responsibility. It's not just a title. And certainly my mother, when she found out I was going to do it and we're very close. She said, look, I, I know this is something you love and you feel close to, but my only concern would be for your safety in the world because it can be dangerous to be a Jew. It's a very, uh, you know, and now it's funny when I do meet people who are in the conversion process, I myself, I'm like, are they okay? (laughs) Do they really understand what they're getting themselves into? And in a way it's like, you say the same thing when someone's about about to get married, Right. Yeah. It's very much the same. Like, I, I, really, really? You're going to like you're in for the long haul. OK, great. Well, I think people have a hard time. There are certain decisions that other people can make that we all can understand easily because we can see ourselves making them really easily. Um, but there are certain decisions we make in life that are so contextual and are so personal and have so much to do with like our very specific values that people can't even like guess at the circumstances that would yeah, lead them to make that kind of decision. Yeah. Um, and I'm also curious, so like, I would imagine not to project this onto you, but I imagine that part of your mother's concern and just, just in general, what might be challenging about converting to Orthodox Judaism at an age where I'm assuming you were very young. So I was in my late twenties. Okay. Then you look extremely young. <laughs> like, wow. Um, all those avocados I eat. <laughs> It's, all, it's, a, it's God, I guess. God and avocados. God and avocados. Um, <laughs> is that, yeah, it's, it's, it's scary. It can be scary to be a Jew in the world. And also imagine, so you're othered by non-Jews, but I imagine also within the Jewish community, especially like the Gen X millennial Jewish community, um, you might be slightly othered from more secular Jews or even like uh, religious Jews who are not Orthodox. Like, was it a sort of isolating experience or did you feel very connected to other Jews? So I know I've heard some people have those kinds of experiences. I was immediately embraced by the communities that I was part of. I explored multiple different communities as part of the Orthodox conversion process. And, you know, one of the, one of the halakhas, one of the commandments around converts is that, you know, they're more, they're considered on another level than someone who's born Jewish because they're choosing this path. And so many within the Orthodox community who actually know that um, are very welcoming, loving, and supportive. And and I really have that experience within the community. Um, But I think for people who maybe don't know that, um, you know, even outside of the Orthodox community, there can be a bit of suspicion Um, you know, I think that I benefit from the fact that I'm white. So maybe in the diaspora, I wouldn't experience that as much as say somebody who is a person of color would. Right. Um, But definitely, um, you know, I think I was widely accepted and had a, a very positive experience, thankfully, from most people that I interacted with. That's really nice. I mean, I don't even know that I meant as a convert, but as specifically an Orthodox Jew. I mean, I also am framing this through my 
my frame of Jewish reference, which is that most of my Jewish peers were not very religious. And if they were religious, they weren't Orthodox. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I forget there's like a big, uh, a relatively big Orthodox community that you would be embraced by. Hmm. Um, why Orthodox Jew? Like, it, can you can you point to actually? Can you point to why Jew, and and then can you also point to why Orthodox Jew? Sure. Um, so Judaism, there's always a long and short answer, you know, because that is a bit like asking somebody like, why did you marry that person? Yeah. Well, one answer is you fell in love. Yeah. And it felt like home. Yeah. Um, the other answer is the business worked. You know, yeah. like what the vision that we had for life in the world was the same. Yeah. And the more we talked about that, the more we realized we were on the same page. So for me, getting to know Judaism was really, you know, falling down the rabbit hole. And one of the most attractive things for me um, was that you could ask anything. Mm-hmm. There were no questions that were off limits at any point. Nobody ever said to me, you can't ask that. Um, even if half the time I got another question as an answer, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it was, you know, a pleasurable experience for anyone who has a curious mind. It was very yeah. satisfying in that way. And I would say also, I wanted to talk about God. I grew up in a home where that wasn't a conversation, not that it was shunned, but it just wasn't important. And mm-hmm. so for me, that was a conversation that I wanted to have, which leads into Um, And the conversation that Judaism is having about God and the relationship between man and God to me and how that plays out then through our relationships with each other and with ourselves, to me, that is, it was the closest fit that I could find for the feel that I had of what things should be like. Um, And that's really where I went. And orthodoxy for me, and I'm I'm sure other people have lots of different experiences. So really the, the caveat is this is my experience. Yes, for sure. I wanted to talk about those things. I wanted to talk about the relationship between us and God and between God and man and between people and people. And and I didn't want to talk so much about politic and I didn't want to talk so much about divisions. And um, my experience personally was when I went into Orthodox spaces, those were the conversations that they were having. The things they were talking about were the things that I wanted to talk about. Okay. And the other piece being I, you know, part of my journey was, dancing in Israel. So when I, you know, I, when I asked the hard questions, like, you know, would my kids be considered Jewish? Could I move to Israel if I wanted to? Could I get married there? Like all of those questions, the technical answers were the way to be a doctor that can practice everywhere is Uh to do Orthodox conversion. And so for me, there was both the love and the, the business that aligned. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, so obviously an answer, an answer to a question like that is going to be complicated. And like, I like the, the analogy to a marriage or to falling in love. I think, you know, I'm early in my journey to finding God, if I even want to call it God, but some, some kind of spirit, something higher than me. And I can't point to, uh, what, like, I can't really name why I'm pursuing the specific things I'm pursuing, but I can say that what pushed me into it was, um, recovery from addiction. And that was like my, just, that was my catalyst. Um, and so, and that community the, the recovery community is very spiritual. Mm-hmm. So was there like, yeah, it, basically 
was uh, this this desire to seek God and ask questions like a perennial force in your life since you were little, or did you find that later? I think I was a bit of both. I grew up in a an atheist agnostic home. Neither there was no religion in my house at all. Same, but it was something I always thought about as a kid. So. It, it was something you always think about, but you don't have a space for conversation around. So I was left largely to my own devices as a child to try to figure out what did this mean that I was feeling like there was something bigger than myself going on and that I, I didn't completely feel alone and that the word that I'd heard was God, but I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Um, so that was certainly growing up, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about I would say later in my life, I also, at, at a certain point, I had a, a boyfriend, a serious boyfriend for a long time who was in a 12-step program. Oh, and I was definitely um, blown away by the beauty of that type of uh, surrender to a relationship that's, uh, you know, the idea of a higher power or something bigger than yourself and saw how deep community can be formed when you see yourself as part of something bigger yeah, and, and how powerful that type of community and how healing that type of community can be. Yes. Um, I would say for me, a lot of where I came to, I went through a period of time where I was very involved in meditation and Zen Buddhism. Uh-huh. And, um, and I think at a certain point I realized I could still meditate and be Jewish, uh-huh. but I couldn't necessarily be Buddhist and talk about God because that's not really their conversation or their focus. So I kind of went for the bigger umbrella where I could do all of those things. Um, And so, yeah, I think those are, you know, kind of some of the pieces of the puzzle. That's cool. I love hearing that that 12 steps like influence people ever um, in terms of their pursuit for God, because it is like, it's a really special community and there's a lot of, there's a real lack of ego in a room full of people where there's no like, human leader for lack of a better term um yeah it is really really cool it's Um, also a powerful place to come from in terms of everybody is there is recognizing they're all kind of in beginner's minds like i'm not perfect i have something to learn and i want and i need to heal and you get a bunch of people in a room in that headspace everything is possible it's such a beautiful premise to start with for sure. I mean, yeah, it, it, it is like a rebirth. I, it's funny because when I first started going to meetings, I actually couldn't believe that they worked because mm. it, 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 you're not used to um, that many people, uh, adults, people with strong wills in a room together, um, agreeing to share space, like letting other people um, put their emotions on display without fixing them. Yeah. Like it's so wild actually to see it all uh, work out with without a hitch. I mean, you know, there's hitches here and there, but largely it's pretty. It's, it's a pretty smooth process. Yeah. yeah um, powerful process. I am curious about. So, okay, when you settled on, you thought about pursuing Judaism, Orthodox Judaism. I'm sure you get this all the time, but I just, I'm, I am curious about it as a woman. What your relationship is with uh, women not being able to become rabbis within Orthodoxy. I, I, I mean, I know that there are Orthodox. Uh, female rabbis, but Mm -hmm. just that it's maybe not a a precedent that's been set in certain communities. So I think it's very, again, you know, just like it is with Israel, it's very hard to understand what's happening in Israel through the eyes of someone who lives in North America. So when I say that, it means like it's hard to think about 
Orthodox Judaism also in the same way and, and, and its relationship with women through a modern feminist lens, right? It's like yeah. you're asking centuries to speak to each other. Right. And, um, and so while there are elements of access for women that mm -hmm. are, that have been affected by centuries of living in the diaspora, um, within communities that don't necessarily support women in leadership roles, yeah. um, both through Christianity, through Islam, through Eastern, through Europe, right? Through living mm -hmm. in all of these different places that where the culture affected our practice. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly if we look into the Torah, women are given extraordinary uh, leadership roles. Yeah. Um, not in the political sphere, but in the ability to influence the, uh, the outcomes of almost every story. Yeah. And so when, I, when we think about rabbis in the Orthodox community in terms of women, so personally, do I think access is important? Yes. I mm -hmm. think if a person feels that that's their path and their practice and that they have something to contribute in a leadership role. Um, I think that is important. And I do see that um, in many Orthodox communities in a lot of different capacities. Um, do I think that it needs to have the title rabbi in order for it to be legit? Uh -huh. I have my qualms about that because um, personally, I don't feel that. Do okay. I know that without that title, you aren't always recognized for the yeah. knowledge or the experience that you have? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a lot of, but do I think that's a Torah problem or do I think that's a people problem? I think that's a people problem. Right. And I think that we are always struggling with how to reconcile the views of Torah and the experiences of people mm -hmm. into something that is the best case scenario. And we don't always get there. And sometimes it's a long, long process. And so I, in no way, like, I don't feel stopped from doing what I love. Okay. Um, I teach, you know, I have an incredible um, group of students that learn with me on a regular basis. I have a voice in the community. Um, not, not always to everybody's, you know, <laughs> pleasure, but, <laughs> um, but, but I think, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that the opportunities are there. I think that it's a constantly evolving process and people get super creative with how to lead, uh -huh. um, you know, just, you know, just as everybody does, you deal with your circumstances the best you can. So I would say, does it bother me? Not particularly, because okay. I do think it's an evolving process. And I do think that I've seen and met and know unbelievable leaders in the community that mm -hmm. are women mm -hmm. who have impacted my life, I would say, more so than the rabbis I've interacted with. Yeah. Um, who have shaped my practice, who have supported my family, who have made a great impact on how I view myself as a Jew. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that that to me speaks volumes.
Just yeah. because somebody's a rabbi doesn't mean they're the ones that have the greatest impact on the community. When it comes to, say, legalities or mm -hmm. certain types of practice, yes, but we're still pushing from the inside. You know, there's still yeah. influence. So again, oh, it yeah. just depends what you see as power. For sure, I, I, and I'm a I'm a big believer in uh, pushing from the inside, and in, in, mm -hmm. like even in comedy as as a woman in comedy, I'm a mm. big believer in um, you know maybe affiliating with organizations uh, that uh, from the outside don't seem particularly feminist, but if there's a woman inside of them, they who is a feminist, they become inherently more feminist. To speak right. in the most cryptic way possible, um, yeah. But I, you know, I am curious about this, like, just to end off on a, a little, uh, actually talking about orthodoxy. Um, mm. It, is there room, I mean, I think you're going to say yes, but I'm curious in what way, like, is there room for orthodoxy to evolve if it's so rooted in traditional values? And if so, how do those two, how do you reconcile those two things? Um. Well, the, the answer is unequivocally yes. Orthodoxy has evolved. Yeah. It's like utterly a different practice than you would, would have seen a hundred years ago. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a beautiful story um, in, the, in the Talmud that says, uh, you know, that Moses is brought by God to the yeshiva of Rabbi Akiva. And he like sits in the back of the class and is really freaked out because he doesn't understand what Rabbi Akiva is talking about. He's like, I don't know, what is he even teaching? Mm -hmm. But then at the end of teaching, Rabbi Akiva says, this is the Torah that was given to us by Moshe. And Moshe is comforted. Mm -hmm. But does it look like the Torah that Moshe was teaching at Sinai? No. Right. So I would say orthodoxy is Judaism. Orthodox practice is always evolving. It's utterly different than it was 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, and is continuing to evolve, um, you know, with all sorts of things. Things push from the left and they push from the right. And then right. we figure out where we fall. But there are certainly a lot of examples that I can give where modern situations come up and orthodoxy has to understand how to respond and how do yeah. we speak to something that didn't exist a thousand years ago. But using the ethics, morals, and principles that were handed down to us to try to understand how to make the best choice possible right. that aligns with our goal and our mission as a Jewish people. Um, and so I think, yes, there's, you know, I think it is constantly evolving. I think that we are always trying to ask good questions. Mm -hmm. um, and even though there are parts, look, there's there's always people who want to try to keep things the same or to make things more strict or to keep the, or to try to evolve things constantly and to make things less strict. And those, you know, those are always um, part of community. Yeah. So you're trying to, you're always trying to figure out that that's one of the reasons why they say, right, find yourself a Rav or a teacher, uh -huh. choose your community that reflects your values and your goals in terms of how they practice, because there's tremendous diversity within the Orthodox community as to how people practice and, and how they express this particular ethic or principle or, or commandment. So find your tribe, basically. Yeah. You know, find the people that you fit with, find the, the rabbi that speaks to you or the leader that speaks to you 
And then you yourself have to clarify your own beliefs, practices, and goals. And by doing that, you'll do a better job of finding where you fit. I mean, so the reason I asked that, I, I know, of course, that it, it does evolve, but I, I wanted to hear your explanation as to how it evolves, because I mm. imagine that uh, for an intellectually curious person, which you clearly are, um, that that is a really rich area to explore intellectually, like marrying the traditional values of orthodoxy with an evolving world. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, of course, I ask a giant question, right? We have like one minute left. Um, so unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut us off um, because it was really fun to talk to you. And uh, <laughs> no very illuminating. I totally enjoyed it. It's a great question. And I definitely think there are some really fantastic answers. Um, so I definitely I would I would urge anyone to to ask that question within the Orthodox community and you'll be. Um, it'll be very interesting to hear what you find it, within any of the communities, really. You know, Judaism has a, a great answer to how to make bridges between seemingly polar opposite ideas. Even if that answer is more question is more questions. <laughs> <laughs> it usually will be. <laughs> okay, Ali, it was so nice to meet you. I'm, I'm sad I won't get to say goodbye to your matching hat and glasses, but you know, say, say uh, goodbye to them and- for me. And I would love to hear more about your journey and to ask you more about your experience because I just feel like uh, we would have a lot to talk about. So such a pleasure. Let's stay in touch. I love it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Won't You Be My Rabbi. There are five episodes in this miniseries. You can hear them all at thecjn.ca slash b-my-rabbi. This show is edited and produced by Michael Freeman. Our music is by The Underscore Orchestra. I'm comedian Laura Lebo. You can check out my content on YouTube or follow me on Instagram at Laura Lebo to hear about upcoming shows. Yeah.